What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Dansby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on Talking Chop or for my random tweets and diatribes over on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Joining me are my usual the usual suspects this week. We have Matt Powers. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Powers31, who's been spearheading our draft coverage as well as helping out on the minor league side for quite some time. And Gaurav Vidak, the curator of the Braves Reddit Twitter account, as well as his own personal account at GVDAC. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? I'm great. I just got back in from Atlanta and seeing a couple of these prospects in both Rome and Gwinnett, as well as some of the guys in Atlanta. Yeah, we're actually going to... I'm great. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say I'm great because I, I, I got a little cup of whiskey, so I'm, I'm feeling good right now. Oh, God. This is the, the, the now let road, me road. talk about something that's been grinding my gear. No, <laughs> yeah, Road to Atlanta after dark is about to happen. That was that was one of my favorite moments from the original Road to Atlanta, where I forgot <laughs> to edit out like ten minutes of us just like going on a diatribe and and you know I'm like yeah just leave it up I guess I mean it's a little can't unring the bell uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah so um at the important part of the of this particular podcast that you're going to be listening to is going to be our interview with Ben Badler where we talked about the international free agent market, a bunch of different topics. Ben was great. Um just may don't forget to miss that. It's going to be about the last 40 to 45 minutes of the of the episode. Uh but we do want to give everyone updates. Uh first and foremost, my apologies on the podcast not happening last week. Uh, that was totally my fault, and uh, I was still willing to record, but basically I was overruled by Garav. Uh, I had a family emergency come up. I had a family member that had to have emergency surgery, and while the, that surgery took place earlier in the week, there's a bit of a little bit of recovery and some set, some setbacks and things like that that I was just having to deal with. And, you know, we just made the decision that it was probably best just to skip a week and then go just go – back at it this week where we can, you know, talk about the talk about the interview and then just get everyone caught back up that way. So it was totally my fault. I apologize in advance. Um, th- these two guys were re- ready to go, but uh, unfortunately I just had something come up, so we couldn't do the show last week. So, again, I'm sorry. It will still be on every Thursdays. And um, in addition to enjoying the interview that you have at the end of this podcast, we also have an exciting guest for next week because Jim Callis has agreed to come on. Uh, it's be a wide-ranging interview where we talk about Braves prospects, we talk about the draft. Basically anything that comes up, Jim's great. And that'll be a lot of fun as well. So make sure that's something else for you to look forward to. Um, before we kind of get into the interview with Ben, I wanted to kind of just get everyone up to speed on some of the like kind of the top performers and the big news items uh, from the last week or so. Uh, Grav, I know you had a few guys you wanted to talk about. Yeah, first and foremost is Sal Giardina just going off last week. Uh, I told him, I actually told him that I was going to give him a shout out. He has played really well and I'm super happy <laughs> to see him doing well. I, I love uh, him. He's so funny. He's such a good guy. Yeah. I don't know why my voice got that high, but I just, I really enjoy talking real excited to, him. to talk. Yeah, I, I, I love the guy. Yeah. He's just a genuine person who, 
who you know okay i'm not i'm not gonna go on and on about him i just i like i love him as a person uh yeah we've seen some some big weeks from some really notable players and i think the one that probably sticks out the most and someone i wrote about yesterday or earlier much earlier this morning is uh, is austin Riley, and I, I think you guys i'm pretty sure anyone that's listening in right now knows what exactly austin riley's been doing uh, just like a quick glimpse over the last 10 days. He's got an absurd 1.639 OPS. He's got six doubles and five homers. Uh, that's 11 extra base hits. By the way, he's only had 15 hits over the past 10 days. So that's a pretty solid extra base hit percentage that he's sporting right now. You can't get the ball by him. He, he's just on fire. He hit that massive 492 foot home run yesterday. Where basically everyone just stood there and was like, "Yeah, that that's gone." Like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure you guys, that? yeah, like you saw the the catcher reaction as soon as that bat made contact. He's like, "Well, poop." Like, okay, I'll censor <laughs> myself a little bit there. Yeah, PG, uh, PG. We'll try to keep it. PG. Yeah, and like the umpire kind of like stood up and was like, "Oh snap! Like, how far is that ball going?" It, it was it was that big of a monster home run and not to be outdone was Adam Duvall who has what seven home runs of his own over the past 10 he really wants back in Atlanta you can tell and I really hope it works out for him especially with like the ender the the slight ender injury like Duvall at his best is a very very valuable player on a major league team just because he's he's a really good defender as well and he's got that power potential like those two are straight up killing it another i have two more i actually want to talk about i know we only talked about three the the third one would be atlanta boy trey harris he was showing out like crazy this year you know went, went went to missouri uh put up some pretty solid numbers i don't really consider him much of like a high ceiling prospect but the guy is just sunshine and unicorns 24 7 he'll talk baseball to you all day every day He'll be the first person to, to take up a media, a media interview. The guy is just one of those electric personalities that you that you can get by. And the fact that he is going nuts to start this season has been awesome. Over his last 10 games himself, he's got a 1.174 OPS. He's got, you know, one stolen base, which is still... I don't know if you guys noticed it, but it seems like the Braves as a whole are very less aggressive on the base bats in the minors than they have been in previous years. So, like, that one stolen base over 10 games is kind of significant. Uh, he, he's he's walking at a solid clip. He hasn't been striking out either. He's got three strikeouts in the last 10 games. We're talking 32 at-bats. That's that's crazy and impressive. And then the, the final guy is all of our love child. We're talking Izzy Wilson, who yeah, has got a one- Izzy. He's got, he's slugging 750 over his last 10. You know he's gonna walk. He always walks. But he's hitting for average right now over, you know, he's hitting 313 over, over 10 games. His OBP is 486. Of course he's slugging at a 688 clip, which is, you know, comes all the way up to a 1.174 OPS. You know, oh no, 1.171 OPS. I'm sorry. Uh, and I was reading Trey Harris's line. 313. Batting average 750 slugging. So all of us want Izzy to be a huge thing. And I'm always going to overreact to small samples when it comes to him because I want him to become a thing so badly. But, you know, hopefully this is the building box for him. I don't know. But those are some, some of the major hitting prospects that seem to be really hitting their stride right now. Yeah, I think I, we speak for all of us is that we really, like, the, the tools with Izzy since he was like a teenager in like the GCL have always been there and it just, you know, and he's a really nice guy too. You, I, I we really want him to do well and, you know, it looks like he, I mean, it's, it, there's nothing about what he's doing right now that, especially with his physical profile, it makes me think he can't do that, um, other than his track record, <laughs> which is a non-zero consideration, but no, really love Izzy and I'm glad that he's doing well. Uh, Matt, what about you? What about some, some guys that you have caught your eye over the last couple weeks? Well, first, before we even get into it, and I didn't actually mention him before that I was going to talk about him, but Yusil De La Cruz, since we last recorded, actually got promoted to, uh, Florida and had a great start. He went six innings, gave up Two hits, one walk, one run, struck out six. I mean, this guy looks like the guy that last year he started out as before he went down with the injury and never really returned the same way. 
this is the high ceiling guy that we've been on since probably July of 2017. And he looks healthy right now. He's got the results. Of course, then there's Nolan Kingham, who also just got promoted from Rome to Florida and did something remarkable yesterday. Was that yesterday? Uh, uh, I think it was yesterday. But he threw a complete game shutout in 96 minutes. I mean, he gave up three hits, no runs, struck out five. It was his third start since being promoted to Florida. And he'd been a little hittable in his first two as he adjusted to the level of competition. Slightly with that, slightly with the defense as well, because of the type of pitcher he is, which I'll get into in a minute. But, I mean, the stuff just really seems to be showing up. If you recall, I had him in the lower end of the top 100 prospects for the 2018 MLB draft. Yeah, you were excited when the Braves picked him. Very. He's... He's a guy that can throw into the mid-90s, but he doesn't typically sit in that range, which sounds strange, but he's a sinker-slider type of pitcher who's going to induce a lot of ground balls, get a lot of ground ball contact, and part of why he's so hittable at times could also be less of a reflection on him as much as the defense that's going to be behind him. Because as a guy that's going to get a ton of ground balls, you need to have a good defense behind you to actually get to the balls. I mean, I'm not going to mention this name, but I was at a game last week and there was some very poor defense. I'm going to get into this guy next week, but just to get into what I'm talking about here, there were some lightly hit balls that resulted in a couple singles and a run being scored. With better defense, nothing would have actually scored. But... Uh, defensive limitations happen and it's no one's fault it's just deceiving to a pitcher's line and their stats uh, with the hits and runs allowed when they force a lot of ground balls and Kingham is definitely the kind of guy who when you put him with the current Atlanta Braves defense could really have a great showing as a strong number four starter yeah so there's um a couple guys that I want to talk about. Uh, first is uh, the, Grov and Matt kind of hit the big the big names. William Contreras has also been hitting really well down in Florida. It's worth mentioning, uh, batting well over 300 recently, uh, hitting for some power, and he's kind of coming up in big spots too. Uh, we're still trying to get more and more reports on kind of how the pitching the catching is progressing, but the the pitching down in Florida has actually been pretty good, which leads me to believe at the very least that Contreras isn't causing any problems in terms of play calling or anything like that. So those are all positive developments in terms of how, you know, overall how Contreras is doing. Uh, another, a couple other fire frogs, oddly enough, that have been performing really well. Riley Delgado, he just keeps hitting. Uh, it's like not zero power, but very little. He only has five extra base hits on the season with uh, like three doubles and two triples. Doesn't have any rule of power to speak of, but the guy makes contact with the ball. He doesn't strike out. He's only struck out ten times this year. Uh, and, you know, is batting 323, and he's a guy that at age 24, maybe he might need to be moved up at some point here soon, just to kind of see if that hit tool, especially without power, whether that's going to play at the higher levels, because he's a really interesting player, if for no other reason that he's defensively good enough, he's played, I think he's played over at third base, and I think he might have played some second too, I'm about to double check that to make sure, uh, but he's a guy that, as a utility infielder, who could do some damage at the plate, not maybe not in terms of power, but at least be able to get on base at a reasonable clip, draw some walks, maybe try to and maybe be one of those guys that isn't like the top, a top of the order hitter, but as a guy who can give you really value, really good value at that bottom third of the order uh, as he kind of gets to the major leagues. And he has he's seen time at second, third, and shortstop this year. Uh, and I I really liked him as a shortstop last year. He spent most of his time at third, I think, just because of like the positional necessity at Florida. But I think he could play all three positions uh, positions really well. Um, another guy that I've been, I've been pushing him for a while now, ever since before the season started, and he's been performing exceedingly well, and I've been getting a lot of questions about, and I think you guys have too, is Hayden Deal. Uh, 30 innings pitched this year, 1.2 ERA, 26 strikeout, 27 strikeouts against six walks this year. Opposing batters are getting, are hitting 154 against him, and he required a little bit of research on my part, just because I saw him as a reliever, um, when he was at Rome, he only made a, few, a handful of starts for Rome, and I didn't get to see those any of those live. So 
I didn't really get to see kind of what he was as a starter and what was making him so effective. So I asked around a little bit. Uh, we're talking about, he's a left-hander, 24 years old, uh, out of Presbyterian, North Carolina. Uh, he was a late, late round pick and he is a guy that at fastball sits in the low nineties. You know, the, the four seamer can maybe get up to 93 or 94. But what's made him so good, uh, he's going to be naturally good against lefties. He's just kind of the way his arm slot works and how his pitches come in. He's just going to get that, that lefty-on-lefty matchup is going to always go well for him. But what's made him so good against righties is that, boys, we have a guy who has a cutter that is nasty. And we've seen pitchers, you know, in the past that, you know, like Corey Kluber is kind of the extreme example where he has the really good cutter. But we've seen guys that have been able to kind of, figure out platoon splits in the past by having a really good cutter. And it sounds like that Hayden deal actually has that, which is makes him a really interesting starting pitching prospect because one like evaluating cutters, like solely is like a rather than a pitch ball, a fastball that has some like cutting action versus something that is thrown as a cutter uh, makes him a really interesting player. Um, Before we move on, to just some other news items before we kind of get into the interview with Ben. Uh, any other players that we're missing? Um, I, th- I think that generally runs down the, the, the hotter guys. Uh, I will say it's been nice to see the the rebound from uh, Jonathan Morales, who's played really well this year. I know we were we were kind of high on him his first year just because he was showing out with the bat, and we knew exactly what he was defensively, and then he started – providing even more value by playing third base and first base and, and all this kind of stuff. But we knew he was a good catcher, but now his bat's starting to come around again. Uh, it's been, it's been really nice to see, to see him just get back started. And if he becomes a thing again, you know, that's, that's another valuable catcher. And apparently the Braves are just amazing at, at creating or having really high producing catchers, which wasn't a thing that we had for a long time. And now we just can't stop creating them. Yeah, and also Sean Newcomb has now gone two starts in a row in AAA, total of 13 innings without a single walk. I happen to be at one of those starts. But for a guy that was sent down because he was struggling with his command to suddenly go and just not walk anyone over two starts is an encouraging sign. Obviously, we didn't really mention Austin Riley is just hitting the cover off the ball right now and Adam Duvall as well. Yeah. Well, we, Garov did kind of dig did dig pretty deep. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Garov did dig pretty deep on Austin and, and Adam at the beginning. Um, but what I think is is going to be an interesting test, and I'm gonna, I actually want to get your guys' guesses between Drew Waters and Christian Pache, who both continue to just keep hitting. That's just what they do. Uh, neither one of them are really drawing walks, but they're both providing real value on the uh, at the plate. If you have to pick between Waters and Pache, who ends up having no. the hot? No, 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 no. I'm not making you pick who, which one you keep. Fear not. We get to keep both. I don't want to decide either of them. Oh, okay. Okay. Which one ends up with the higher OPS at AA this year? Uh, oh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go Waters just because I believe in his bat more, but that's simply because the track record's there and Pache has made, like, massive changes. And so that's why – that's literally the only reason I'm not begging. I'm going to go with Drew Waters. Matt, what about you? I'm going to have to agree. I, I understand that pick, but I think that what's going to end up happening is that Pache is going to end up hitting for more power than Waters is this year at double-A. Uh, this isn't a long-term projection. I I still think that betting on Waters' bat over Pache's bat is the correct thing to do, uh, but I think it's really close, and I actually think at double-A just this year, I actually think that Pache is going to be the guy that ends up winning out the OPS bottle battle, but it's worth mentioning. I think they're both going to have really good seasons because it's kind of crazy to me that both of them have been doing so well at double-A this year. So far, you know, you know who's an interesting name who like isn't really producing traditionally because he's not hitting he's not hitting the ball particularly well, but when he is, he's doing extremely well with it. And that's Grayson Janista. You know, he yeah, he's been really good. Started been off good. horrible. He started off really really bad, but then like again using MLB farm. Thank you, Darren. Like God, this guy is incredible. What he does every single time. Uh, over his last 10 games, Grayson's got an 889 OPS. And while he's, he's hitting 241, it's that 371 OBP and slugging 517. Like, he's starting to provide a lot of value. I know, I know Matt is like in between how he evaluates his, his hit tool, but like, if the guy is going to provide value getting on base and slugging, which is something that we were scared about before was slugging, like, 
that's going to end up being a pretty solid draft pick by the Braves. Yeah, and another guy who had a, a little bit of a hot streak before he kind of turned back into what he's been for the last couple of years is Connor Lean, who had a streak where he was like walking a ton, hitting a bunch of home runs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's, he's teased me before. I might have to see it more than a week to, uh, he's uh, got to like, make... last time I saw he had like an 800 OPS. I'm like, oh my god, hell yeah. He's like batting like 190. Like 145. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I want him to be good so bad because talk about a guy with a ton of tools, except for a hit tool. He just doesn't have one, um, yeah. and it's 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 pretty rough. Uh, but at the same time, he's also a guy that you know, if everything all of a sudden figured he figured it out, he could like jump up in a hurry because he's actually a really good defensive outfielder too. Uh, a couple quick news items before uh, we move on to the interview with Ben. Uh, CJ Alexander, sadly, uh, he hadn't played since towards the, like the first week of April with an elbow injury. And whenever we saw that come across, we were like, I don't know, being out this long, you wonder if maybe he's going to have Tommy John surgery. And then he announced on his Twitter that he was having to have surgery with James Andrews. And we're all like, oh, well, this, this is the Tommy John. And then later on, he posted that he had to have his elbow cleaned out, uh, and scoped and kind of get some debris out of there. Should be back in, I, I think the, the timeline he said was four to six weeks, something like that. And that's really good to see that, you know, at the very least, he's not going to miss the season. Because as a, at his age, he's not a guy that you necessarily want to uh, have missing a ton of time. And a name that I'm really happy to see come back, Matt Withrow has been activated from the disabled list, which is, he's been, it feels like he's been on it for a long, long time. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that he, he assigned to Florida, so we'll see him down there first. But I really hope that he shows out because I really liked his arm. Um, was a guy that, was uneven at times as a minor leaguer, but he's a guy that we really like as well. Uh, are we missing any other big news items? I mean, we kind of covered the, the promotions of Jaseel and Kingham already. There was a little bit of roster shuffling that happened today, but I don't recall any big names being mentioned. Are we missing anything? I think we are not. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, with that, guys, uh, make sure that you guys are subscribing to the Talking Chop uh, channel on iTunes, on whatever podcast platform that you prefer to use make sure you subscribe to that feed because not only do you get that podcast but you also get this one and it's two podcasts for one and we really enjoy doing it and we really really enjoy talking to to ben earlier when we talked about the international market and kind of what the braves places in it right now the changes that have under have been undergone so make sure you subscribe to the podcast make sure you follow all these gentlemen matt powers at 31 um on twitter for matt gvdac on twitter for Grov and lep at Leprechaun with a K for me. Uh, enjoy the interview with Ben, and we'll see you next time. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now we are here with one Ben Badler. Now Ben was on the show uh, the first the, during the first iteration of Road to Atlanta, and he decided to. Uh, forego the trauma of that experience and actually come back and do the show with us again so everyone please welcome ben badler ben how are you my friend i'm doing great eric thanks for having me on we're really glad to actually have you on because this is a topic of conversation that we get a lot of questions about and i I think matt and garab would agree that it's something that we don't have a lot of really good information on right now simply because the the club's been pretty quiet in terms of like acquiring players and that they haven't (laughs) Um, they haven't, uh, they haven't really announced anything about like kind of how they're restructuring the international, like the international department and things like that. So we kind of have some questions. And I guess the first thing, the question I have is we all know that the Braves aren't going to be really big players in this next IFA class simply because they won't be able to sign anyone for any meaningful amount of money. Uh, they might sign some players here and there, but they're not going to be big names or anything like that. And in the next class, they're going to be hamstrung, although they can be a little bit more active. Where do you see the, these upcoming IFA classes like standing in terms of overall strength that, based on what we know right now? I mean, are the Braves really missing out on, on some really big pieces, or is this kind of like a, a weaker class or two coming up? Uh, if in terms of the Braves class itself or in terms of just the overall like 2019 class, you mean? 
just the overall 2019 class simply because they won't be able to participate in it. Are they like, are they missing out on a lot or are there some really good players that you're excited about? I, yeah, I, I really like the 2019 class. I mean, I think if we, it's interesting to kind of look back now on some of the classes of, of the last five years. Like if you look at the 2014 signing class, you know, that, that was the year where the Yankees were kind of, they weren't the first team to go over their bonus pool. Uh, the Rays had already done it, but they were the first team that was like, all right, screw it. We're just going to spend a, you know, a big boatload of money <laughs> on players and, and just try to sign as many of the top guys as we can in a given class. And like almost no matter who they could have signed that year, at least among like the top high profile prospects, uh, there, there just wasn't all that much talent. <laughs> at least, uh, guys have to really turn into legitimate prospects among, the top guys in that class, and then you go ahead a year later, 2015, you've got Vladdy Jr., you've got Juan Soto, you've got Fernando Tatis Jr., um, you've got, uh, you know, Leone Tavares, Andres Jimenez. There's that, that year was a stacked international class. Um, I think we're going to probably look at 2017 in a similar light. Um, last year was, I would say, just kind of a, a standard year. Uh, but I, I think 2019 is going to be a, a really good group. There's a, there's a lot of really talented players in the, in the 2019 class in terms of the, you know, the, the really top, top level guys, uh, like a Jason Dominguez, Eric Pena, uh, Byron Laura, those types of guys, but, uh, Luis Rodriguez to an outfielder out of Venezuela. But, uh, I think there's just a lot of depth of, of talent too, you know, Beyond that, it's it's kind of hard to say because, you know, e- even the 2019 guys, we're talking about kids who are still 16, some of them are still 15 years old. So 2020, we're looking at kids who are 15 and, and even 14 years old. There's there's so much that can – I mean, these, these kids can change so much from the time they sign at uh, 16 to the time they make their – you know, their debut the, the next year in, you know, whether it's the DSL or the Gulf Coast League at uh, – uh, 17 or, or sometimes 16 years old, but, you know, especially going from, you know, 14 to 16, there's, there's just so much that can change about these players. So, um, you know, I, I do think just the general trend overall of the international market and, and Latin American baseball in, in particular, uh, just the, the talent keeps getting better and better every year. The, the kids are better prepared, better trained every year. So, uh, overall, I, I think the trend is going up and, um, you know, maybe too soon to say on, on the overall quality of the 2020 class, but uh, I definitely think 2019 is going to be a, a strong group overall. That's one of my favorite things about the international free agent market is like, you, there's going to be the top guys and then some of the names you mentioned from the 2015 class are obviously some of the best prospects in baseball right now or among the better players in baseball right now, period. And I like that, you know, it's, there's, there's those types of guys that can really like kind of carry from their, they're IFA gays all the way through the minors. But there's also going to be like those guys who sign for basically nothing, come out of nowhere and, you know, put on 50 pounds and, you know, all of a sudden show off a tool set that we never thought they would have. Um, the Braves have certainly been the recipients of some of that. Uh, they've also been kind of on the, they've bought into some guys that, you know, didn't work out. Uh, Matt actually had a question about one of the guys that the Braves ended up not being able to sign coming up. So my question is actually about the guy that the Braves actually had the early agreement to sign and are now barred from signing, Robert Poisson. I know there was that point when he was 13, 14 years old that a lot of people considered him to be the top player in the 2019 class, but I'm aware that he's been passed out. What's happened to his stock since the Braves agreement was tossed, and where would you rank him today in the 2019 class? I think his, his his status, you know, I think the first time I saw Poussin was at a showcase in um, for the Dominican Prospect League, which would have been like July 2017, so two years ago, which in international uh, covering international market years that that feels like five years ago uh, to me, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think since then his stock is probably just about uh, about the same. We talked to scouts who, who saw him at that time. Who, who you know, there were certainly some scouts who thought he was the best player in the class, and, and there's still some scouts who 
who think that, um, you know, other, you know, other, other scouts, I think, were, were a little bit lower on him. I still have to look at just the, you know, premium tools, premium athleticism that he has. Uh, can't really overlook that, especially at a, you know, for a guy who's going to stick up the middle at, uh, at shortstop. So, um, that, you know, I don't, we, I haven't finalized the, the rankings yet, but, uh, but he, he's definitely still considered to be, uh, w- one of the top, top prospects in, in the class overall. Is there a sense now as to kind of, I guess what I'm trying to get at with this, because I mean, obviously the early agreement is one of the thing, one of many things that got the Braves in trouble with, um, with the international market, but the early agreement with Puasan was, was identified specifically as something that the Braves, that the MLB wanted to kind of rectify and stop. Uh, are we still seeing a lot of those kind of handshake agreements in the wake of those sanctions with, if not with the Braves, obviously, but maybe with other teams or has that, have you seen actually a decrease in that in terms of like, you know, people being more overt about it? Uh, so I, I think what the, it, it wasn't when MLB punished the Braves, it wasn't so much about having an, an early agreement with, with Poussin. Um, if I, if I, I don't have it in front of me, but, um, you know, in the, in the commissioner's statement on it, it, it wasn't so much about them having an early agreement. They know that every club has, uh, agreements in place to sign players before July 2nd. I don't think that's any, uh, secret and, and they, you know, aren't really doing anything with that, whether it's, you know, with, with players, the Braves have, uh, agreed to earlier or other clubs having agreed to early agreements with, uh, with other players. It's more, it was a combination of, of factors, uh, with, with the Braves, but, you know, the, the one specifically with Poussin was, uh, not so much that they had an, an early agreement with him. It was that, they had a, a an agreement to sign him in a a package deal, so they were going to sign Busan, oh, uh, gotcha. but also just a, a big you know group of of other players from the same trainer um, in a in a package deal to sort of uh, you know sign Pusan, and they were going to give Pusan a you know a big big bonus anyway, but then they were going to throw a bunch of other money at other players who were. Uh, from the the same program as well, which is what the Red Sox got punished for. They, they did it a little. The Red Sox did it a little bit differently, but uh, they really hammered the Red Sox with penalties over that. I mean, they removed I think it was five players from uh, the Red Sox organization after that, uh, including uh, I would say at least their top three signings from that class, and then totally banned them from signing any players the the following year so when the Braves did what they did with Poussin in in addition to some of the other things the uh, commissioner's office mentioned promising uh, I think it was uh, what was the phrase extra extra contractual compensation to uh, yeah I uh, think that's what the phrase was (laughs) yeah to G1 you know to Bay uh, you know and other among other things that uh, were going on there so it's yeah. It's I don't think MLB they they show you know really no sign of of caring um, about early deals which, which are really only accelerating uh, uh, you know at, at this point um, it, it, at least in terms of like penalizing teams I don't uh, I don't see any sign that that's that's going to change with, with in Poussin's case it was you know that it was more about them having done a a package deal to be able to um, to sign or, or try to uh, sign him in, in his case. All right, Garav has a question, kind of the, about the aftermath of the, the Brave sanctions. Go ahead, bud. That's almost like the perfect segue for me, actually. Uh, so, like, you know, following this whole scandal, the Braves pretty much cleaned house with the entire international scouting department. Um, what exactly are you hearing about how they're rebuilding the staff? And are there any like notable names or positions that stand out to you? Um, yeah, it seems like it's kind of gone, uh, you know, 
I don't know that it was a, an immediate priority for them, just given that, all right, well, <laughs> basically can't sign anybody looking forward to 2019 for, for right, a bonus right. above $10,000. Um, but you know, now with, with the way the market is accelerating, teams are kind of already, you know, you go to, I go to a showcase now in the Dominican Republic or, um, you know, Colombia, you know, where a lot of the Venezuelan showcases are now. And it's, uh, you know, more 2021 and 22 players than 2019 and, uh, 2020 kids. So the, you know, the market's moving. Really fast. I do think they've, they've started to, uh, uh, revamp their, their international, uh, program. Um, you know, they, I know they've hired some more scouts on the ground there, but, uh, um, it's kind of been a, uh, you know, I think kind of a, a slower, slower process for them to, uh, to build that back up. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, I mean, it makes sense to me that like like especially at the front office level or just kind of getting more scouts on the ground like that that would be something that they kind of take their time with simply because they're not you don't they don't need to be in that many places to you know hunt down you know like $10,000 or less guys and they can kind of take their time with like picking personnel and things like that but what i'm curious about is like the baseball academies that are in the dominican or you know the the the, the bases of operations where they kind of have these training programs in place, whether that be in Colombia, Venezuela, or the Dominican and others, are those programs like still being like well attended and used? Or is it something like, is there, have we seen changes at that level? Because a lot of these, a lot of these kids, at least that's my understanding, is that, you know, a lot of these kids kind of grow up going to these same baseball academies, whether they, with whatever organization. And a lot of times that's where a lot of these sort of um, understandings begin to take place. And some of these are and obviously some of these academies are like third party, you know, run by specific trainers, not by run by a specific organization. So in terms of like that, like those academies that are in place that it seems like based all organizations at this point have, even the Orioles, uh, it seems like that they might actually be looking to actually <laughs> expand to the international market after a long absence. So I guess like has, has anything on that level changed, even if we don't really know a lot about in terms of like the scouts and the front office personnel? In terms of the, the participation for players in uh, like the trainer programs the, yeah. themselves or yeah in terms of like in those trainer programs like at those again like the like the Braves academies that are in like in the Dominican for example are the, because they're not going to be participants in these next two classes are they seeing like just not much participation in those programs at all or is it just kind of maybe shifted to the younger guys um, I mean, I think the, so the, the Braves kind of have to, they're obviously in an unusual spot where for 2000, 2019, they, they can't sign anybody for more than $10,000. So I don't, I don't think, I think a lot of their, their focus and, and energy right now is probably on the, the 2020 classes and, and beyond. I mean, they'll have some penalties for 2020 in, in terms of a reduced, Bonus pool, but you can still make a pretty good dent in, uh, in that class and, and they can still trade up for, um, you know, for extra bonus pool money as well if, if they want. So, um, it, it, you know, for 2020, uh, obviously for 2019, their pool is zero. So, they can't, can't so, so the, for, they're, they're not capped by that, like having their bonus pool, like they could trade up and get more if they wanted to. For 2000, well, the rule is you can trade for up to, uh, the kind of shifted this year. I think it's for up to 60% of your bonus pool allocation. So they can trade up for, for more money in 2020, whereas in 2019, they have a bonus pool of zero dollars. <laughs> so, uh, any right. percentage of zero is, uh, they're still stuck at zero, but any signings for $10,000 or less are exempt from the bonus pools for, for every club. So they can still sign guys for $10,000. So I'm sure they have guys who they're going to sign on, uh, you know, on July 2nd. And, and after that, maybe when some of their prices come down for, for that $10,000 level, uh, you know, if it were me and, and I imagine the Braves are probably going to take a similar tactic that, uh, it'd probably be a heavy focus on, on arms just because you can, I think if you look at position players signed for $10,000 or less or, or even $100,000 or less out of Latin America, 
in the last, uh, you know, five years, you just look through our, our prospect handbook. There, there are very few position players who signed for, for less than a hundred thousand dollars and, and certainly for very, even fewer who signed for ten thousand dollars or less. Whereas pitchers, it's, you know, you, you throw a whole bunch of arms who are, you know, throwing, you know, 86 to 90 right now with the slurvy breaking ball and scattered strikes. <laughs> uh, you, you can get those kind of guys for, uh, you know, $10,000 and then all of a sudden, boom, the guy adds, you know, 30, 40 pounds, starts throwing 97, 98 <laughs> and you have a, you know, a, a pretty legit prospect. So I, I think the, yeah, I mean, the, the brave scouts on, on the ground, they're, they're still going out to all these different, programs uh throughout Dominican Republic, Venezuela, all of Latin America. Uh, you know, they can bring players for 2019 and 2020 into their into their team academy in the Dominican Republic to to evaluate those players. But uh, you know, when they're going out and, and seeing players, I think a lot of the focus for them right now is probably on the uh you know the 2020, 21, even even 2000 and 22 classes, but, but at the same time, I think a lot of other clubs right now are so focused on, uh, 2000, you know, really even 2021, 2022, just because of how aggressive the market has gotten that it, you know, in some ways there, there could be even more, uh, potential bargains for, for players. I mean, it's, it's a hard cap if, if a lot of teams have already kind of committed all of their, bonus pool money for 2019 you're going to have a lot of kids come uh july 2nd if if not sooner are going to say hey look i just <laughs> i just want to sign it at this point i'll, I'll take ten thousand dollars so um it's kind of an unusual sort of very unusual year for for the braves to be in but uh there's some uh interesting ways i think they can uh approach 2019 tactically to try to squeeze a, a little bit of value out of a, a very, very limited situation that they're in. That that, that kind of leads us into the situation that they are in. I know Matt has a question about kind of some of the talent that the Braves end up losing in the sanctions. Go ahead, Matt. So it's clear that the Braves lost a lot of pure talent during the international sanctions, but we haven't heard a lot about many of those players after they left with the exception of Kevin Maiton's struggles with the Indians and Bay's legal issues with the Pirates. Are there any of these players still on your radar as real prospects going forward, or has their prospect value taken a step back from the time when they signed with the Braves? Yeah, I think if, if you just look at the the overall players that they signed in that class, it uh, it wasn't. It, it's kind of like what I talked about with the Yankees going over their pool, their bonus pool that year um it, it it's just not the it's kind of an underwhelming group overall which um you know Kevin Maiton I think is definitely safe to say that his his stock is is down from from where it was when when the Braves signed him uh certainly not giving up on on him by any means or, or any of these kids just because they're still all so young I mean um I think, I think most of them are still, what, 18 or 19 years old at, uh, at this point. But, uh, but yeah, they're, you know, they're, uh, you know, Jeffrey Del Rosario was, was one arm they lost. He's, he's still a pretty interesting guy. Uh, Levon Soto, we'll, we'll see if he ever gets stronger or, or if he, you know, just that kind of ends up limiting him. I mean, he, he does, Put the bat to the ball. He's got a pretty good eye for the strike zone and, and very smooth, uh, smooth hands and smooth actions at, uh, at shortstop. But, uh, you know, the strength is definitely a, a limiting factor. Um, you know, Junior Severino, I, I think is an interesting guy, um, in terms of the, the extra base hit power potential. Um, you know, hasn't really shown that this year, but it's, it's obviously, uh, Early on, with uh, with a lot of defensive question marks on him, but uh, um, it, it's it's a it's a lot of players to lose. But I don't know if you can really point to one guy right now and be like, "Wow, that's you know that would hurt the way if 
uh, you know, the, the Blue Jays have lost like a Vladdy Jr. or something at, uh, at that same, at that same age. That would have been pretty brutal. Uh, just the prospect of losing, it's, it almost makes us as kind of guys who cover the Braves and Braves fans feel a little bit better that the guys aren't doing as well, but you also wonder kind of that turmoil from that whole situation kind of what, if it played into that. Uh, and plus, you know, again, we, we, we still really liked those guys when they were Braves prospects. So I'm hopeful that, you know, they end up, it ends, they end up doing well for themselves because it's ultimately, you know, they were doing what they thought was best for themselves, not to, you know, <laughs> um, it's, they're, they're not villains in this story, I guess is the best way I know how to say it. Um, Garab actually has a question, uh, moving away from kind of the, the scandal era, I guess is the best way to describe it, about an international signing that's been getting a lot of attention lately. Yeah, so you know how the Braves signed Ronald Acuna for like $100,000, Albies for three fifty. I think they signed Camargo for like $42,000. Another one that's performed quite well has been William Contreras, and I know the Braves signed him for like $10,000 or something like that. Uh, when he was a prospect, like what was the general consensus about him, and what exactly are you hearing from him uh, in terms of overall play, like his bat and catching-wise? Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. I mean, that, and that's like a good example of like the rare guy who did sign for a really small bonus, uh, that kind of $10,000 level and then has turned into, uh, a really legitimate prospect. I mean, it's, it's somewhat surprising. You would think that, uh, you know, when, when you have those bloodlines of somebody who, um, you know, I forget if, if, if Wilson was a big leaguer at the time or if he was just a prospect in the, Cub system, but, uh, you would think somebody with, uh, those, those bloodlines and, and also training in a pretty high profile program in Venezuela would, would get more attention, but, uh, you really just flew under the radar, uh, as, as an amateur player, not a, uh, obviously not a, a big bonus player, but ever since he signed, I mean, he's been very, very solid, very consistent. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think he's, I think he's definitely one of the top catching prospects in, in baseball right now. Uh, I think he's got a chance to be, uh, you know, a solid hitter. Um, you know, hit for, you know, it's hard to put a number on, on home runs in terms of power just with the, the baseballs <laughs> right now and the difference right. between the, the major league and the minor league ball. Uh, especially now that we're seeing that major league ball in AAA and, and just how bonkers <laughs> the offensive levels have gotten, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, just, uh, uh, you know, the obviously, he, you know, he, you know, I'm not saying he's, uh, Acuna or, or Albies, but, uh, I think that's the really, really great sign, obviously, by the, the Braves to be able to, to get him at, uh, at that price. To, to me, he's, he's one of the best catching prospects in, in the game right now. I just had a, a quick follow-up to that. How often do you see someone that does take like a $10,000 signing bonus and prove to be not only, you know, quality minor leaguer, but also can reach the major league level? Like, is it, I know it's, it's got, I know it's got to be super rare, but do you know of any examples off like possibly the top of your head? I know that's really a tough question. If you do know of anyone off the top of your head that did sign something that low and ended up having a, a really strong major league career? So, I mean, I think if you look at like guys in the big leagues right now, you could probably find a bunch of them. But I mean, for me, um, you know, and I, I just wrote something, uh, in, uh, that went up a day or a couple of days ago on, on our website at Baseball America, just on, you know, scouting, the scouting process has changed so much over the last, 10 years, even over the last five years or even over the last like 12 months in, in Latin America that the, you know, the money has gotten so much bigger as well over, over the past 10 years that, you know, we can look back at guys who signed in like 2009, 2010. Those guys are still like in their mid twenties, just kind of coming into their prime right now like a you know a Gregory Polanco, Gary Sanchez, Miguel Sano, those kind of guys. Um but e- even since then there's there's so much as that has changed. So I mean if if you just look at our like if you look at our prospect handbook right now and you just look at the signing bonuses for 
international signings, uh, for, and you, and you look and you break it down by position players and by pitchers. The position players, there's, there's very few players at all in, in the handbook who signed for less than even a hundred thousand dollars. You know, there's some exception, you know, Vidal Bruhan is, is one, uh, with the Rays, obviously, uh, William Contreras. And, and you can say there's maybe some, uh, selection bias in there in terms of the younger guys who, uh, you know, before they get to maybe low A, the, the signing bonus, you know, the bigger bonus guys and maybe the higher profile guys who uh, get more attention and, and will go on the prospect handbook. Whereas if you're a, a lower dollar signing, you're probably more of like a lower dollar sleeper type and maybe takes a little bit longer to, uh, to, to move up and kind of make your mark in, uh, you know, as, as a prospect. But really by the time a player gets to, to low A, it, yeah, you know, I don't think anybody's really looking at the the signing bonus at that point. So, for you know, for position players, you know, very few players under you know a hundred thousand uh, dollars. Whereas for for pitchers, it's it's like flip a coin <laughs> whether a guy signed for for more or less than a hundred thousand uh, dollars. It was about a a fifty fifty split at least the last time I, I looked at it uh, uh, a couple of years ago. So, um, I think it just shows kind of the unpredictability of, uh, of, of pitchers and especially of projecting pitchers at, at that age. I mean, we see a guy like, you know, Anderson Espinosa who, who signed with the Red Sox it was a, you know, the, the number one pitching prospect in his class signed for, I think it was like $1.4 million, you know, traded to the Padres. You know, he's missed basically two years. After Tommy John surgery, he's gonna have another Tommy John surgery now. So, uh, you know, just keeping these these arms healthy is is such a big part of it. But then the other thing is, you know, even even the top pitching prospects, you know, right now, if you throw like 93 as a 16 year old kid coming out of the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, like that's it's an outstanding fastball for your age. Whereas if you top out at 93. At, you know, the major league level, that's like maybe a 40, <laughs> uh, fast, what's a below average fastball? You're probably going to be sitting around like, you know, 80, 89, 91, that, that kind of range. So there's, there's just so much more projection involved for, for the stuff that needs to tick up for, for a pitching prospect when you're evaluating these kids at 15, 16 years old. I think we're seeing pitchers can, can really come out of anywhere and, and constantly, uh, you know, either exceed expectations or, or just surprise you. And, and I think teams generally spend their money, uh, with, with that, with that principle in mind, you, you see maybe a couple, couple of arms every year. Um, you know, maybe a Starlin Castillo last year with the, the Phillies, um, you know, you know, a couple of arms every year who sign for a million dollars plus, whereas it's about, uh, 20, 25 or so position players who are, who are signing for seven figure bonuses. That, mentioning these signings is interesting simply because, I mean, in, I think you're right in that the, on the arm side, it's, it's almost more of a crapshoot just because of the volatility of pitchers in general. Um, and the Braves haven't, stood pat in the international free agent market. I think that's something that we do forget is that they were able to sign guys in this last class, but again, because not from the sanctions, but just from the own restrictions of spending so much previously that they couldn't, again, they weren't in on the big name guys. And one thing that stood out to me, I, I, I tend to shy away from arms a little bit until I kind of see them in pro ball. But one thing that stood out to me in the, in your write up uh, on the Braves international class was uh, Carlos Paiva, I believe is how you pronounce his name, because uh, he seems like a guy that has some real tools as an outfield prospect, and I was wanting to know if you could tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, yeah, Carlos Paiva. Um, he's one of those guys where, yeah, the, when you see his tools, the tools definitely stick out, and, and that's that's what you're banking on. I mean, sometimes you're, you're getting a guy with, uh, you know, more – more game polish and, uh, you know, a little bit lighter in terms of the, the raw tools. Other times at, uh, you know, especially at that, 
you know, price range that kind of under three hundred thousand uh, dollar, you know, limit that the Braves were under that year. Uh, you're, you're probably getting either a kind of one end of the spectrum or, or the other. <laughs> um, you know, you know, obviously with, with some exceptions, but, um, you know, in, in Piva's case, it's a really, really athletic body, a lot of physical upside, like 6'2, 185, uh, a lot of room to fill out, get stronger for, for those tools to potentially continue to, uh, to tick up. Uh, he, he runs well. He's got a strong arm. Uh, he's got power. Uh, I think that power is probably going to continue to, to go up as he, as he fills out, as he gets stronger. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's definitely someone that leans more towards that, uh, emphasis on the tools and, and the, and the raw tools. He's kind of still learning how to take it all into, into the game. I, I don't expect him to come out and, uh, hit uh, hit 3:30 in the Dominican Summer League it could be uh, could be a bunch of strikeouts or you know it could be somebody where you know guys who are athletic are, are able to to make uh, adjustments. He might be able to to make those adjustments quickly, uh, or it might be a case where all right he he's got good tools and the the adjustments to to take to the game uh, and and to kind of hit against live pitching never never quite come along. So uh, definitely an interesting uh, raw tool package to, to, uh, to work with and to be able to add to the, the organization at the, uh, you know, given the, the restrictions that, uh, that they were under last year. Now, I think it might come a shock to, as a shock to some of our listeners, but like you're not just an international free agent market, market expert. I mean, you've been at Baseball America for a long time now, and you've been a part of the process for, you know, evaluating prospects, ranking them, and, like, talking about the systems in general. And Garav had a question for you just about, you know, kind of our system in general. Yeah, I was actually joking around with Carlos the other day that I'm pretty sure you guys could put out, like, an MILB top, like, 4,000 prospects and rank every single one. Like, I am in awe of what you guys are able to put out every single day. It's truly incredible just to be able to talk to you and learn from you. I just, that's a quick aside. Uh, I did have one question, you know, do you have any, of course you're extremely well versed in pretty much every single farm system. Uh, excuse me. Do you have any like non-traditional household names uh, that you could potentially see not only make the, the Atlanta Braves, but have like some kind of meaningful impact? you know, just, not necessarily like a top 30 prospect, but someone outside that kind of ranking. Is there somebody who, who might come up uh, this year and, and help the Braves? or Not not necessarily this year, but within the next like three or four, because I think we, we pretty much have the, the top 30 is pretty much, you know, the next two or three years, I want to say. But is there anyone outside of that that could potentially make an impact in like 2020, 2021? Um, it's a good question. I mean, the, the tough thing with the, uh, with, with the Braves system right now is, is there, you know, I think their, their best players are really stacked toward the, the upper levels. I mean, when you have that, you know, the, the signing penalty that, uh, you know, and the restrictions that, that they've been under, it's, it's kind of, uh, I think you, you see the, the lower levels of the farm system are, uh, thinned out, and, and you know, in some fairness, maybe you could say like Drew Waters and and Christian Pache are, are two guys who, you know, if they were at more age appropriate levels for them, could be <laughs> in the in low A or, or high A and, and kind of be uh, a little bit further away. But they've just moved so quickly through the system that they've kind of uh, beaten that. Uh, you know, w- one guy who I think is kind of interesting and kind of an arrow up. Type guy in terms of a, a, a deeper sleeper, uh, uh, Cesare Moreno. Uh, that's a kid that the, the Braves signed out of the Dominican Republic last year. Got, I believe it was 135, uh, to sign with the Braves. He's, you know, 6'4, uh, real wide shoulders, strong lower half, signed at 16. I think he's 17 now. And he, he's kind of an example of some, you know, some of these pitchers, uh, we talked about before where, uh, you know, everybody, he even pitched at, uh, 
an MLB showcase, uh, like their big international showcase, if, if I remember correctly, or actually that might have been their, sorry, their, their Dominican national showcase, um, in, in the Dominican Republic. So, uh, you know, everybody saw this guy pitch, but he's, he's just kind of really, really trended up since, since then. Um, you know, he's been up to, to 96. He, he's got a, uh, a lot of power to his curveball with a pretty good depth and, and shape to it. Some, you know, some feel for, for a changeup, uh, erratic strike throwing, but, uh, it's, it's not unusual <laughs> at, uh, at that age, especially for a, uh, you know, a taller, taller frame pitcher. But, uh, you know, you have a 17 year old kid with a, a fastball that's up to 96 and, uh, showing feel for, for his secondary stuff. Um, you know, a lot, <laughs> uh, a lot that can go wrong along the way for a 17 year old pitcher getting to the, the major leagues, but, uh, it's a, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good ingredients to be able to, to build off there. You know what? I actually remember your Instagram post about him and I remember him absolutely fooling those, those hitters with his curveball. Is that an actual potentially plus pitch for him or is it because he was just so much more overpowering than anyone? Uh, I think, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely got a potential to be at least uh, an average to, you know, maybe potentially above average. It's, it's so hard to say, like, at that, when you're looking at a 16 year old kid's breaking ball, like, most of the time you're looking at, uh, some kind of like a slurvy in between, uh, a curveball and a slider type pitch. So you're, you're really, you know, occasionally you see, you know, the Cubs signed a pitcher out of Venezuela, Richard Gallardo, who was, a, you know, one of the top arms last year. You could see, for example, somebody like him, oh, wow, like <laughs> this guy has a hammer breaking ball. Uh, most of the time you're looking at uh, feel for spin and, uh, you know, shape or spin rate sometimes uh, clubs are, are looking at too with, with pitchers. So he definitely has that that feel to spin on his curveball. There's, there's power with it. Uh, you know, I, I think he was maybe facing some, uh, some kids at that, uh, event who had, uh, uh, very, very limited breaking ball, uh, or pitch recognition skills. So maybe the, the hitter reaction made the, the pitch look, uh, a little bit better <laughs> than it is, but he, you know, he definitely has, uh, that feel for, for spin and, you know, to go with that power fastball. Um, it's, a uh, uh, it's a pretty pretty intriguing potential starter mix with the with the pitches that he has. I think I remember one pitch in particular where he threw a changeup to a righty. It seemed like that batter had never seen a changeup before, and it was it was very funny to me. Yeah, I think it looked like uh, he might have <laughs> he might have torn an ACL or something on the. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Ben. One last question before we let you go. Uh, Matt has a question about us. We we talked a little bit about bloodlines uh, when we were talking about Contreras, and uh, Matt had a question about one player in particular who might be a little bit away from signing with anybody. So this might even be a little bit beyond your radar for now, but we talked about the 2021-2022 classes. I was covering a game recently in Scranton, and it was one of Vladdy's last AAA games. He mentioned through his interpreter that he has a 12-year-old brother named Vladi Miguel. I was wondering, he mentioned that he's about the same size as him and that he's a better player than Vladi Jr. was at the same age. Is he a guy that you know much about and consider a significant prospect at this time, or is he a little further out from your radar? Yeah, I mean, for, for kids who are that young, it's uh, it's hard to really say who's... Uh, uh, you know, what, what, what their potential is, but I, I have, I, I've seen some video <laughs> of him swinging and, uh, and just running. And it's funny. I mean, you can see obviously like with Vladdy Jr., some of the same hitting mannerisms that his, that his dad has. And even just kind of like the running gate. I mean, you know, Jr. does not run at all. <laughs> like, uh, like, like senior did, uh, maybe late career senior. <laughs> Um, but it's funny to see his, uh, you know, this, the, this kind of the next, uh, member of the Guerrero family just kind of having those same (laughs) 
hitting mannerisms and like running gait, the way he kind of swings his arms. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of funny just to see a, a little kid who's, uh, just, just kind of obviously has modeled himself after, uh, after the family, but, uh, it's hard to say. But that whole, that whole Guerrero family, I mean, there's like, there's gotta be like five of them now, I think, in <laughs> pro ball. We got, uh, Gregory Guerrero with the Mets, uh, Gabby Guerrero, uh, Josue Guerrero with the, the White Sox. I think there might be one other too. So, um, it's, uh, it's an impressive, uh, impressive, uh, bloodlines coming down from, uh, <laughs> from the, from, uh, the Vladdy Guerrero and, uh, and obviously Wilton Guerrero too, his, uh, who's, who's Junior's uncle. All right, Ben. That is all the questions that we have for you. Uh, feel free to plug anything that you have coming up or anything that you kind of want our listeners to know about before we let you go, man. Yeah. I mean, we just, uh, put out our new top 100 prospects. So if you're a Braves fan, I think we have like seven or eight <laughs> Braves guys on that list and, and we're trying to, uh, keep that as updated as, as possible, uh, with, uh, you know, at least monthly updates throughout the year just to, try to give people more value and just give more value for our, our subscribers at, uh, at baseballamerica.com. So obviously all our, all our draft coverage, all of our international coverage, all our prospect coverage, uh, is there. So, um, just, uh, you know, grateful for, for everybody who, uh, who does subscribe to, to baseballamerica.com. Uh, so appreciate uh, all the, all the kind words that, uh, that you guys have, have said. So, uh, we certainly, certainly, certainly appreciate that too. Yeah. I just want to say that if anyone is listening to this podcast where you want to listen to an hour of us talk about the Braves Meyer league system and you are not subscribed to baseball America, you're doing it wrong. You're absolutely doing it wrong because a big crux of what we do, we do our best to get out to games and we do our best to watch the games if we if we can't get to them live to kind of give you all a good sense of what the information is out there and who's doing well and who's not. But a big crux of where the information we get are from guys like the ones at Baseball America who do a ton of work. They have a, a great staff and they're constantly sending guys out to watch games and constantly getting in touch with scouts. And it's not expensive. I know that there seems to be this aversion to paying for content these days, but I promise you that the, if you're paying monthly, it's like 14 bucks a month, I think, and you get access to this wealth of information available to you. And honestly, like I, before I would say to, you know, send support to us, or to do anything, I would say make sure that you support institutions like Baseball America that do things the right way, who don't just give you a, a surface look at players or give you a list or two every year, and that's all they give you. It's constant evolving and constantly being posted content on a wide variant. If you like college baseball, if you like the draft and you know amateur baseball, the international market, that's where that's kind of where Ben has sort of uh, taken the reins, but there's just great content on baseball America throughout it. And it's the easiest money you'll spend and you know it's you you it's basically one or two trips to McDonald's that you you would make in a month and instead you get to read all this con content not just from this year but in previous years too. So I highly recommend that you uh, subscribe to Baseball America. Again, it's the it's the easiest money I spend each month and I, I can't recommend these guys enough. They're all great. Um, we've had several of them on the show. Uh, Ben's this is now Ben's second time uh, talking to us and we've had JJ, Carlos, all those guys. Just make sure you support them. Um, thank you again, Ben, for coming on. We really enjoy talking to you as always. And until next time, guys, we'll see you on the road. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.